Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so we're reading my book, The Pesky Kids 3, Stuck in the Mud, and we're up to Chapter 4, Dramatic Entrance. Here we go. Finn was the only person in the entire crowd who was not rushing off to get free mud cake. He'd hidden a bag of choc chip oat cookies from Joe the previous afternoon. Finn was very fond of his brother, but he knew Joe's limitations, and not not eating cookies was one of them. Finn had been given the cookies by a lady in the school canteen who thought he was unnaturally short and suffering from vitamin deficiencies. As a result, Finn had enjoyed a hearty breakfast of choc chip cookies in his room and didn't feel any great urgency to stuff his face with more chocolatey goodness. This is how he came to be the only person in the crowd looking in an entirely different direction – He was looking up at the sky. "'What is that?' asked Finn. He shaded his eyes so he could see better. The music was still blaring, so no one paid any attention to him. He had to walk over to the cake line and slap Joe on the shoulder to get his attention. "'Look!' Joe looked up as well. He could see a small black dot high in the deep blue of the country sky. Loretta and April were in line next to Joe. They noticed too. "'It can't be a bird,' said Loretta. "'It's not flapping.' It's dropping, said Joe, starting to grow concerned. Finn squinted to try to see better. The dot was getting slightly larger as it dropped lower. It was taking on a shape, more than just a dot, and the shape had arms and legs. It's a person, exclaimed Finn. A person is dropping out of the sky. Pumpkin barked excitedly at this macabre prospect. No way, said April. You've been out in the sun too long. But as she looked up, the shape was moving closer still. It was starfish-shaped, like a person falling with their arms and legs held out wide. It is a person, stammered Joe, starting to panic. He knew he should do something, but if a person was falling to the ground at terminal velocity, there really wasn't time to do anything. Not a person, said April, a lunatic. Over there, there's a plane, said Loretta, pointing to another part of the sky over the schoolyard, where a small propeller plane was banking. They must have jumped out of that. Why would anyone jump out of a perfectly good plane, asked Finn. Perhaps they're aiming for Currawong, said April. They want to hit as many residents as possible and put them out of their misery. Just then, a parachute deployed from the person's back. A bright red canopy billowed out above them, slowing their descent. Joe breathed a sigh of relief. It wasn't going to be a horrible disaster after all. Oh, thank goodness, said Loretta, echoing his thoughts. It would be awful if the mudrum was ruined by some silly Billy. This was not an echo of Joe's thoughts. As the parachute drifted closer, they could see two words sewn into the fabric in bright yellow. It read, Fair go. What does that mean? asked April. Fair go means to be reasonable, said Finn. It's something you wouldn't know anything about. April didn't even break her gaze from the sky to shove Finn hard, almost knocking him over. 
The parachute was getting very low now. As it drew nearer, they could see it was actually moving a lot faster than it appeared to be. They could see the person controlling the parachute using ropes to steer the descent. They are aiming for the garden, said Finn. He was right. The parachutist first pulled on the right vent to weave over the post office clock tower, then the left to bank across the main road before straightening up to come in headlong down the main path of the gardens. He's coming this way, declared April excitedly. People in the crowd started to scream and dive out of the way. Even April took a few hasty steps back to clear a path. But Loretta stood transfixed, watching the parachute glide at full speed towards her. What an entrance, she murmured admiringly. She loved making a dramatic scene herself, and she was generous enough to appreciate the melodramatic statements of others. But in this instance, Loretta was so wrapped up in her admiration, she seemed to have lost all sense of her own personal safety. The parachutist was going to slam into her at speed. Finn girded himself. This was it. At last. His moment to be heroic and rescue his one true love from imminent danger. He leapt forward to push Loretta out of the way, but it was not to be. Finn was a short boy who did not share his brother's appetite for food, and Loretta was a tall, statuesque teenager, so when Finn crash-tackled her waist, she barely moved an inch. She just continued to stare at the oncoming parachute while Finn slowly slid down to the ground at her feet. Luckily, heroism came more easily to Joe. He would never dream of crash-tackling Loretta, not unless he or she was covered head-to-toe in bubble wrap. The physical contact would be all too embarrassing otherwise. Joe's first instinct, when the collision became inevitable, was simply to step into the parachutist's path. Joe boldly stepped forward, and the parachutist slammed feet first into his chest, knocking Joe down and landing slap on top of him. The parachute billowed over them and collapsed, covering Loretta, April Finn, and much of the rest of the crowd. Terribly sorry about that, said the parachutist in a husky voice as they got up. Joe continued to lie spread eagle as he desperately gasped for breath. He caught the parachutist's entire body weight with his solar plexus. The parachutist took off their goggles and helmet to reveal long, flowing black hair and dark skin. You're a woman, gasped Joe. Yes, I am, chuckled the parachutist as she tossed her head to make her hair flow out in an even more attractive manner. She smiled and arched her eyebrow. Surprised? Yes, Joe croaked out hoarsely between gasps, but he didn't want such a beautiful woman to think he was sexist, so he explained himself. Usually women are more sensible. The woman laughed again, then leapt up and started to unzip her flying suit. This was all too terrible for Joe to endure. He closed his eyes. It was bad enough having to rescue a girl as beautiful as Aretta, only to be physically assaulted by a parachutist who turned out to be extremely beautiful herself. Now he had to lie there while she took off her clothes. It was all too much for his adolescent hormones. Fortunately, the parachutist did have clothes on underneath the jumpsuit. She was wearing knee-length leggings and a crop top. The outfit covered enough to be decent, but also revealed enough to show that she was incredibly fit. She had huge muscular thighs and a rippling six-pack of abs. She looked like a character from a video game. The type that would kick you repeatedly in the head if you kept pressing the same button over and over. This astonishing woman jogged up to the stage and grabbed the microphone. Now wait one moment, young lady, said Mr. Lang in his sternest schoolteacher voice. But the teenage girls at the high school didn't listen to him when he spoke like that, so it was no surprise when this airborne virago totally ignored him as well. Good morning, Karawong, said the woman happily. The music coming over the speakers was suddenly much louder. Brad was at the sound desk. He looked angry, which wasn't surprising given that his event had just been hijacked. 
Brad had elbowed the sound technician out of the way and cranked the volume up. Everyone clapped their hands over their ears as the speakers began to squeal with feedback. Then the sound cut out altogether. Brad desperately started tweaking knobs and flicking switches. Mr Lang explained, We have strict decibel limits in Karawong. If you exceed 70 decibels, the sound equipment will be automatically disabled. Brad kicked the soundboard in frustration. That's all right, said the woman, pulling a small speaker out of the pocket of her jumpsuit. I've brought my own. She clipped a microphone headset around her ear and started speaking. My name is Mayor Darawal, declared the woman. Most of the people in the crowd gasped. Are we supposed to be impressed by that, asked April. She and Loretta were still fighting their way out from under the parachute. Oh, totally, said Loretta excitedly. She's a two-time Olympic silver medalist in the heptathlon. Yeah, I'm still just hearing two-time Olympic-level loser, said April angrily. She didn't like being knocked over, not even by elite-level athletes, and especially not by overconfident, beautiful ones. And spokes-athlete for Indigenous asthma sufferers, added Loretta. She's a role model for the heart of breathing everywhere. I've come here to Currawong to compete in your world-famous Mad Mud Mud Run, declared Maya. Everyone in the crowd, except April, who was still angry, cheered and clapped. I'm doing this to shine the light of fairness on the inequality of this competition, said Maya. The crowd was silent now. Currawong is famous for its mud and its mud running. But for too many years, the women's prize money has been just a small fraction of the men's prize money, continued Maya. What? exclaimed April. The men get five times more money, added Maya. Boo! Someone called from the crowd. Yes, boo to that, agreed Maya. No, I'm booing you, said the crowd member. How dare you criticise our mud run? There was muttering of agreement amongst the crowd. April strained to see who the lone voice was. She saw the telltale blonde plaits of her classmate from school. Oh, shut up, Matilda. You're only booing because you stand no chance of winning any race unless you have a specific category for annoying blondes called Matilda. You shut up, April Pesky, retorted Matilda. You and your family are just blow-ins. You've got no Corowong pride in your veins. Yeah, that's right. I only drink filtered water, agreed April. Who knows what this town is trying to get into my bloodstream via the tap. The lack of fluoride's bad enough, but if they're putting town pride in the water, then I don't want a drop of it. No, you're getting me wrong, Maya called out over the crowd. I would never dream of criticising the proud sporting tradition of the mad mud mud run. As a young girl, I would read about your great race in the newspaper and dream of competing in it one day. I just want to improve your mad mud mud run by making it fair for everyone so we can all enjoy this wonderful historical sporting event. Quite a lot of people in the crowd cheered this. I'll be living here in Currawong for the next four weeks, continued Maya, and I'll be running training boot camps to help any woman who wants to enter to do her best. But it's unladylike, heckled Matilda. There were murmurs of agreement, especially from the girls at Loretta's exclusive private school. Yes, yes it is, agreed Maya, suddenly sombre. Running about the countryside and jumping into pools of mud, dragging yourself through muddy bogs, scrambling over mud-caked ropes and swinging across muddy ravines is unladylike. Which is why it's so much fun! No one should be excluded from that much good, honest, filthy fun! Are you with me? Now lots of people were cheering. A few men booed, but many of them were elbowed by their wives or girlfriends and soon stopped. Are you ready to get filthy? asked Maya. I was born ready, screamed April. That's the spirit, said Maya. The first training session will be held here in the gardens on Saturday morning at six o'clock. 
Now hang about, said Mr Lang, trying to take the microphone. But you need a permit and insurance. Mayor ignored him. Now would anybody like my autograph, she cried to the crowd. Everyone, even the booers, surged forward to take up this offer. They might not agree with her principles, but at the end of the day, the people of Currawong were huge sporting fans, and they didn't often get to meet a medalist, even if it was only a silver medalist. And that is the end of the chapter. So we'll leave it there. Until next time, goodbye.